Welcome to the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com, your daily morning podcast, updating you on everything you need to know to win your fantasy baseball league. Let's talk about baseball. Welcome, everyone. Happy Tuesday. It is I, Daniel Port, your intrepid host here to dive into all of the Major League Baseball action from Monday. And without further ado, let's jump straight into the transactions, injury news, and notes for the day. So to start things off, the Baltimore Orioles listed Jordan Lyles as day-to-day with an undisclosed injury. The Boston Red Sox have listed French Cordero as day-to-day as well. He suffered a right ankle sprain during Monday's game against the Rays. Uh, Eric Hosmer hasn't officially been shut down for the Red Sox from baseball activity for the remainder of the 2022 season, but the Red Sox aren't expected to activate him from the 10-day injured list before the season ends. And for the Colorado Rockies, Chris Bryant has increased his activities of late, but he remains in and out of a walking boot as of Monday and is still without a definitive timetable for return. For the Kansas City Royals, Zach Greinke will indeed start Wednesday's game against the Guardians as he's dealing with a forearm injury, but will indeed make that start. For the Los Angeles Angels, Mickey Moniak is starting a rehab assignment with AAA Salt Lake a day. He attempts to come back from a finger injury. And for the Los Angeles Dodgers, bad news for Tony Gonsolin fans as he's dealing with a forearm injury still. He is not ready to throw off a mound. And for Gavin Lux, he is day-to-day with a back injury. They are saying currently that he will not return until Friday in San Diego at the earliest. For the Minnesota Twins, Max Kepler's list is day-to-day. He was scratched from the lineup ahead of Monday's game against the Yankees due to hip tightness. And Sonny Gray is expected to return to the mound Thursday against the Yankees. He's been dealing with a hamstring injury. For the New York Yankees, Giancarlo Stanton is listed as day-to-day with an undisclosed injury. And Luis Severino is scheduled to make his next rehab start Wednesday with A Somerset, while Araldus Chapman is due to resume throwing off a mound this week, according to Yankees manager Aaron Boone, as he's coming back from a leg injury. Boone also notified us that Harrison Bader is on track to be in a rehab assignment no later than September 13th as he attempts to come back from a foot injury. Andrew Benintendi will have right wrist surgery to repair a broken hammy bone in his hand and that's tentatively scheduled for today, according to Aaron Boone. And finally, Boone let us know as well that Anthony Rizzo could be able to rejoin the lineup for tomorrow's game against the Twins as he's dealing with a back injury right now. For the San Diego Padres, Brandon Drury is listed as going on the seven-day injured list with an undisclosed injury. For the San Francisco Giants, Austin Slater was placed on the 10-day injured list yesterday with a dislocated finger. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, Vidal Brujan is listed as day-to-day. And Wander Franco felt something in his second at-bat Monday in a rehab game for A Durham as he is attempting to come back from a wrist injury. They say no x-rays are needed and the team doesn't believe it to be a serious setback, but we should keep an eye on that. And Brandon Lau fielded grounders, swung the bat, and took, uh, took part in throwing drills on Sunday as he is coming back from a triceps and elbow injury. That is definitely a good sign. And then finally, the Washington Nationals have Nelson Cruz listed as day-to-day with a knee injury. He was out of the lineup yet for yesterday's game against the Cardinals. We'll have to monitor his status for today. So that's all the news and notes that we have from yesterday. But there were actually a couple of hitters that caught my eye for fantasy purposes I wanted to point out. First, just starting with the Blue Jays. Evan Biggio went two for seven with his sixth home run and two RBI uh, over the doubleheader. He's actually been pretty good lately. He's hitting 300 over his last seven games with an 800 slugging percentage with three home runs over that time period. It's a little less pretty over his last 15 games from a batting average perspective as he's hit just 225 over his last 15 games. But he still has a 326 OBP over that time period and a 525 slugging percentage. So he's really hitting the ball for power pretty well. He also has over those last 15 games, he scored seven runs and has seven RBIs. What's interesting to look at Kevin Biggio is over that time period, so StatCast numbers look not, nothing to write home about, but he is hitting the ball really hard right now at about 92.2 mile per hour exit velocity and a 50% hard hit rate over these last seven games or so, which would help explain some of the home runs, especially when you throw in that 20.6 degree launch angle over that time period. But what I really noticed as I was looking through this is that Biggio's numbers, as you kind of breaking it down, 
start looking a lot like his 2019 and 2020 season in terms of his approach with his pull rates and his stack cast numbers, but also his, his OBP and his OPS are starting to look very similar as well as his ISO and his WRC plus numbers. So you're starting to kind of see maybe a potential return back to that hitter that we really liked in 2019 heading into that 2020 season. While I don't necessarily think we should be running out and picking him up, but I do wonder if maybe it's someone we should be keeping an eye on for next season. Moving on to the Brewers, Jace Peterson went one for three with two RBIs and a double. Over his last seven games, he's been on fire. He's in 375 with a 438 slugging percentage. No home runs over the time, which isn't surprising. Peterson's never exactly been a power hitter. Last 30 games, he has a 329 batting average with a 468 slugging percentage and two home runs over that time period and two stolen bases. He's been hitting pretty well for a while now. And actually, if you look at most of his season numbers, he's putting up career highs in a lot of places. His 172 ISO is the highest of his career by almost 20 points. He's got eight home runs on the season, which is already a career high for him. And you wonder is that backed up in some of the stack cast numbers some of the underlying things that we're seeing and actually if you look on the season he's got a 7.7 percent barrel rate which is tied for the highest of his career he has an 8.6 degree launch angle which is not the highest but it's up there for him and he's hitting for one of the highest exit velocities of his career at 89.3 miles per hour so i could help explain some of those numbers and why he's performing a bit better and the big thing if you look from really roughly around june 1st on since then he has been a 127 wrc plus hitter while hitting 302 with a 357 obp and a 465 slugging percentage and since that time period, he's actually got a 9.5% barrel rate with a 40% hard hit rate, an 8.1 degree launch angle, and 89.9 mile per hour exit velocity. This is another hitter who is going to be pretty empty average, but you need the batting average help. He could help you there. Moving on to the Nationals, here's a hitter I really like. Lane Thomas for the Nationals went one for three with a double and two RBIs and two walks. The run scored. Been talking about Lane Thomas for a couple weeks now. And since I mentioned him last Wednesday after he just hit a home run on August 31st, since then he's hit another three doubles and a home run. He has been absolute fire. He's in 333 over his last seven games with a 500 OBP and a 667 slugging percentage. He has six RBIs in those last seven games with eight runs scored. And then over his last 15 games, he's in 310 with a 569 slugging percentage, four home runs over the time period with a stolen base, nine RBIs in 15 games, and 12 runs scored. So he has been absolutely killing it there as the leadoff hitter in our nation's capital. And what I did a little digging and took a look at to see what may have spurred on this change since he moved into leadoff spot. Well, it sounds like his manager, Davey Martinez, for the Nationals, really sat down with Thomas and said when they moved him into leadoff spot that they wanted him to be more aggressive early in the count, that he was being too selective with his pitches. And since, since that, put over 100 balls in play early in the count. And over that time period, he's got a 374 average in those situations when he puts the ball in play. And he's got 37 hits with a 273 ISO. So he's absolutely crushing the ball when he's aggressive early on in the count. And in fact, if you look from August 1st on, where he's been doing really most of his damage, he has an 11.4% barrel rate with a 36.7% hard hit rate, an 87.8 mile per hour exit velocity, and a 10.9 degree launch angle. So that's pretty good, especially that 11.4% barrel rate. That's exactly what we want to see. I definitely recommend going out and picking up Lane Thomas, as I've been recommending for a while now. Moving on to Joey Manesis, also for the Nationals. He continues his storybook season as he went three for five with an RBI in yesterday's game as well. He's now up to 339 on the season with a 568 slugging percentage. Over his last seven games, he's 353 with a 529 slug with a home run over that time period. He's got seven RBIs in his last seven games with five runs scored. He's got 12 hits over that period. 
in his last 15 games. He got 23 hits with 11 runs scored at nine RBIs, two home runs over that time period, while hitting 354 and a 523 slugging percentage, and 40 hits over his last 30 games with a 568 slugging percentage. Uh, he's just been incredible. And the wild part is the stack has numbers, as I've mentioned before, actually back up what he's doing to a certain degree. He's got an 11.2% barrel rate on the season with a 10.8 degree launch angle and a 91 mile per hour exit velocity and a 44.9% hard hit rate. And while obviously there will be some regression coming for sure, He's going to keep hitting those kind of numbers. I can't recommend picking up Joey Manesis enough. Yes, there are some concerns about his walk rate as he is not walking really at all, but uh, he makes a decent amount of contact as he's got a 78.9% contact rate with an 84.1% Z contact rate. He doesn't really chase all that much with a 32.1% O swing percentage. And so I don't expect it to suddenly fall off a cliff or anything like that. While there's definitely regression coming on the horizon, what is interesting to think about with such little time left in the season, that regression might not even happen until next year. So he could easily continue doing this for the rest of the fantasy baseball season. Finally, for the Nationals, Kybert Ruiz went two for three with his seventh home run of the season. He has been actually finally turning his season around over his last 15 games, hitting 314 with a 451 slugging percentage. He's got a home run, six RBIs, seven runs scored, five walks over that time period, and even a stolen base. And when you look across the board, he's got 10 hits in his last 11 games. He's raised his batting average nearly 10 points since August 18th. So one of the big changes, though, is he's always been a very extreme uh, pull hitter, usually getting almost 50% pull rates for the season, even throughout the minors and for these those last 11 games or so since about the middle of August, he's been using the opposite field a lot more. He's been willing to go the other way with hits and once a lot of his beat the shift a lot more often, taking advantage of that wide open field going the opposite direction, which for someone with his kind of back control and his eye at the plate, that's exactly what he should be doing. So I think that'll help loosen up defenses against him. They can't just automatically shift on him and that'll open up the field in general for him in a big way. If you need help a catcher, I could definitely see looking at Kybert Ruiz for the rest of the season. Final wrap of the Nationals, DJ Abrams had himself a game going four for five with two runs scored and a triple. The, while C.J. Abrams has largely struggled in his time in the majors, over his last seven games, he's been really good. He's hitting 391 with a 522 slugging percentage. He scored seven runs over that time period and even his two RBIs to chip in there. One thing that's really helped Abrams a lot, when you have the kind of elite, best-in-the-league speed like C.J. Abrams has, one of the things you want to always see is a higher infield hit percentage. And over that time period of those last seven games, that has jumped all the way up to 11.1%, which is what I would expect for someone with his speed, especially when you consider that right now he's hitting a lot of ground balls. He's at a 56.8% ground ball rate over that time period that if he's going to hit the ball on the ground that much, I want him to use his speed as a weapon to convert those into infield hits. He's hitting about 10% more line drives as well right now at the expense of his fly ball percent. Hopefully at some point he starts just hitting in general in the air more, hitting fewer ground balls. But I don't necessarily know if we'll see that until next year. I mean, just 21. He's got a very small sample size here in the bigs. He started pulling the ball a little more and he's making more contact in general which that can hopefully help sustain some of that line drive percentage that he's gained. But even if he's just getting on base with his speed this season, you got to imagine he starts stealing bases at some point and really starts running and really contributing to our fantasy team. So I'm not necessarily adding CJ Abrams yet, but it's good to see him performing well, and we should definitely be keeping an eye on him. Moving on to the Diamondbacks, another team that's got a ton of young players who are performing really right now. If you've listened to me on the podcast, that I am a big fan of Jake McCarthy and what he is doing this season, and he just kept continuing to perform yesterday. He went one for three with a run scored, and he stole two bases. He's now hitting 289 on the season. Uh, over his last seven games, he's hitting just 269, so he's in a little bit of a slump, comparatively, but he's still got a 345 OBP and a 692 slugging percentage. So even over that time period, he's got an OPS over one. He's hit three home runs over that time period with seven hits total. 
and 11 RBIs over that time period with two stolen bases. He's just absolutely breaking out in every single way. Now, the one thing you might say is, but what about his StackS numbers? Of the StackS numbers, they are great. So he's got just a 4.6% barrel rate with a 88.8 mile per hour exit velocity, an 8.5 degree launch angle, and 35.1% hard hit rate. Sometimes you'll run into these hitters who, while they don't have a great barrel rate, you want to ask few barrels they have, do they make the most of them? Right? And Jake McCarthy's absolutely one of these players. So on the season right now, he has eight barrels. Seven of them have gone for home run. When he does barrel the ball up, it goes far and it gets out. You should do this when you're concerned about a player's barrel rate. Look at what they're doing with their barrels. And actually, if you look even over those last seven games where he's got the 692 slugging percentage, he has a 17.6% barrel rate. Once you add in the 14 stolen bases in right around 75 games, you can ask yourself if in a full season, could Jake McCarthy be something like a 250 hitter with 15 home runs and 25 stolen bases? If so, that's very exciting and a player that we should be very interested in. But looking at this year, I definitely think he's red hot. He's hitting for a ton of power. He's stealing bases. He's out there in a lot of leagues and should be just an instant pickup for your team and be started everywhere right now. Another hitter for the Diamondbacks who's really shown out as a young hitter is Stone Garrett. Now, you've heard me talk about Stone Garrett before. He went two for three with a double and a home run. He has just been absolutely crushing the ball as well. He's in 476 over his last seven games with a 952 slugging percentage. He's got literally an OPS right now over 1.3. Just insane. He's got three home runs over his last seven games. And obviously, it's an incredibly small sample size. He's only got 33 at-bats on the season so far. But in that time period, he has a 14.8% barrel rate with a 63% hard hit percentage, a 12.1 degree launch angle, and a 95.8 mile per hour exit velocity he is just smoking the ball anytime he makes contact with it and obviously there are some concerns like he hasn't walked yet he's literally zero walks on the season but if you look at the minors in triple a this season he over 440 plate appearances he had a 7.5 percent walk rate and if you're wondering the powers for real here he hit 28 home runs with 22 doubles over that same time period in triple a so if you watch his home runs and his at-bats he's got very quick hands he gets a ton of bat speed he gets that bat around in a hurry and makes the most out of his swing i really think that he could keep hitting for power there are some concerns in his profile. He's got a 45.6% O swing percentage, which is horrendous. He has a 17% swing strike rate, which is terrifying. And he uh, doesn't make as much contact as I would like. He's got a 71.4% contact rate. And he does make a ton of contact when it's in the zone. And that really is important. He's got an 86.5% Z contact rate. Obviously, given those numbers, though, you'd expect some regression. It's a pretty hard regression, especially in the average department. I don't disagree at all. But much like when we talked about Joey Manesis, that regression might not come until next year, given how little is left of the fantasy season. So I think this is a guy you should be picking up down the stretch here. For the White Sox, Elvis Andrus went two for four with a double and a home run, two RBIs. He has been killing the ball over his last seven games. He's got a 367 average with a 733 slugging percentage. He's got three home runs over his last seven games. That's right. This is Elvis Andrus we're talking about here. And if you even go back to his last 30 games, he's still hitting 303 with a 500 slugging percentage. In many ways, Andrus is probably a better real-life player. He's got 28 doubles on the season, which is fantastic. If he's playing for your baseball team, not so much on your fantasy baseball team. So that's worth keeping in mind. But this is tied for the second highest home run total of his career. He's finally playing in a hitter's park. It certainly helps for the first time really since leaving Texas. Do not expect the home run power to continue, obviously. But he is posting a career-high fly ball percentage for his career this season. And uh, the White Sox right now are getting caught and getting rolling again uh, as they are kind of making a move here in the AL Central. They, over the last 14 days, have been a top 10 offense and run scored. Andrews is the leadoff hitter for that offense. There's value in that alone, let alone if he also keeps hitting for some power here. I definitely think if if you're looking to stream someone, you need someone to fill in here, ride this hot hand while the White Sox and Elvis Andrews are rolling. For the Angels, Luis Rangifo went four for five with two runs scored, an RBI, and a triple. 
I've talked a lot about Ringifo here on this podcast. And over his last seven games, he's 333 with a 519 slugging percentage, a home run. He's scored four runs over that time period and has two RBIs. He's been pretty good. He's not a star by any means. He's a solid hitter and he's been pretty darn good this season. He's hitting for good average with some pop. He's got Trout and Otani hitting in front of him right now. And both of them are absolutely on fire. So if you're looking for some RBIs, you're looking for a little bit of average help, so he's for your bench for someone to fill in in deep leagues. I've said it before, but Luis Ringifo is a great ad in those sort of situations given the opportunities laid out in front of him and how well he's playing right now. So that's the hitters that have caught my eye. But what about pitchers? There's some really interesting pitching going on, both negative and positive here yesterday. For the Dodgers to start things off, Andrew Haney went a 5.1 innings pitch, giving up six earned runs to go along with eight strikeouts, one walk, and four home runs. And really, this is Haney's first truly bad start of 2022. He's been fantastic all season long. It's been really fun to watch him be reborn there with the Dodgers. But with that being said, home runs have kind of his one true weakness all season. And obviously here with four home runs on the evening, they got the best of him in this start for sure. And this is the hard part with having a lights out pitcher who has a propensity for occasionally giving up the long ball is he's going to have nights like this where he just gets teed off on. And usually I'm going to say for the most part, 99% of the time, given his immense potential for, for strikeouts, and any given night, that's the price you pay, and that's okay. He's not going to do it to you every start, and he, he will always pretty much contribute in those strikeouts for you. So I definitely still think you hold on to him. I think you start him. He actually gets San Diego next in San Diego. And at first you're like, that, that's a start I'm going to avoid. But actually, if you look, the Padres are the 25th worst team in the league in home runs at home. So I'm not that worried about his Achilles heel in that game. So I'm actually probably going to start him there against San Diego in San Diego. So for the Angels, Jose Suarez went seven innings pitched, giving up just three hits with seven strikeouts and a walk against the Tigers. Love seeing the start. I've been a big Suarez believer for a few years now, and he's been actually fantastic over his last seven starts. He's got a 1.76 ERA over 41 innings pitched with 39 strikeouts, giving up just eight earned runs, seven starts over that time period, even as a 0.9 whip over that time period. This is really encouraging to see. I know it's the Tigers here. But look back, and this includes starts against the Yankees and a lot of other good teams too. So he's not just a whooping up against the bad teams. And it's worth noting the seven game stretch where he's been very good. It coincides with him actually creating what he calls his second changeup. He has like changeups essentially that he throws. Kind of do different things and have different movement patterns. And ever since he's done that, he's really pitched very well. And what a, the thing I noticed is changeup has always been good. That's been his elite pitch, but he hasn't had anything to pair it with. Having these two changeups has actually unlocked his four-seamer, it feels like. He has been getting all a ton of whiffs. I think he had about six or seven whiffs with his four-seamer in this game. And actually, I want to say at least half of his strikeouts came on his four-seamer. So he's getting up into the 94 range in terms of velocity. Whenever we see him getting success with more than one pitch, that's what we want to see. He gets the Guardians next game. And yes, there's the possibility Guardians do what they do, which is babe up you to death. But I think I'm going to start him in that game and take a chance that, that they can't hit his changeup. For the Royals, Brady Singer went six innings pitched with three earned runs, four runs given up overall, and just one strikeout. This was against the Guardians, and I mentioned getting babe up to death by the Guardians, and that's what happened here. They put a ton of balls in play, and sometimes you're going to run into a game against them where they where they are able to get a ton of hits and score a ton of runs off of you just by putting the ball in play over and over. And if you're worried about the one strikeout, that's also the other thing the Guardians do well. They're the best team in the league at not striking out. So I'm not that concerned about this game here for Brady Singer. He would have gotten out of it with just the three earned runs and three runs total if it weren't for an error that he made that sixth inning. So I'm not worried at all here. I'm sticking with Brady Singer. Like I said, it was just a weird matchup for him. And he made it work. He got the quality start out of here. He gets Detroit in his next start. So I am absolutely sticking with him, but I'm all over that. So moving on to the Astros. Hunter Brown made his debut debut here and was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it was mind-blowingly good. He goes six innings pitched, gives up just three hits with a walk and five strikeouts, throwing just 79 pitches to get through those six innings. That's how good he was. He hit 95 miles an hour or more on his slider. 
His slider, not his fastball, slider. His fastball is in the upper 90s in terms of miles per hour. Got up to 97, 98 miles an hour. Curve looked really nasty. Located all his pitches pretty well. He does strike me a bit as a more of a control over command pitcher right now. With that being said, that's not necessarily what I saw in the start. He looked pretty darn good here, but we'll have to keep an eye on that as we know with rookies. can be a bit up and down. Now, he should get another start next week, and that would be either against the Tigers or the Athletics, and that's a must start for me. So hold on to Hunter Brown. Be very excited. This was a fun, fun game. For the White Sox, Lance Lynn went seven innings pitch. Three hits, striking out 11, walking one, giving up no earned runs, one run unearned. And he has been fantastic. lesson here is that injuries take time. And even when you come back and you're still healthy, so to say, you still have to get back into it. And that's what it took us a while with Lance Lynn. I had figured, I've been saying this for a while, that was going to be the case, but I figured it was going to be next year when we'd see that, when you get an offseason and get healthy and whatnot. And instead, we're seeing it already this year, which is very exciting. He's got a 206 ERA over his last seven games and 53 strikeouts in that time period, just a .80 whip. He's looked fantastic. He's looked like the guy got so excited last year. He gets Oakland next. That's an absolute slam dunk. The Diamondbacks, Ryan Nelson made his major league debut, going seven innings pitched, giving him just four hits, no runs at all, and seven strikeouts with no walks. This is a very interesting debut of Ryan Nelson. Coming into the season, Fangraphs had him as the number five prospect for the Diamondbacks. Their kind of look at him was that he had a 60-grade fastball that had 70-grade potential, a 55-grade slider and curveball, both of them having 60-grade potential. So they came in liking his stuff. And what they mentioned for him was that he was a pitcher who would miss bats, especially with his four-seamer up in the zone, but may struggle with control at times. And we saw some elements of that. Here, he had six whiffs with his 95-mile-per-hour four-seamer. He got three whiffs on four swings with a slider. What's interesting is he was really good at locating his curveball. He stole a lot of strikes with it. About 50% of them fell in for called strikes. But what I found really encouraging was every scouting report I read about Ryan Nelson was about how he has to work up in the zone to succeed. Right now, that's where his skill set is. And he really succeeded down in the zone in this game. A ton of strikeouts, especially on his fastball, locating it down and in and getting called strikeouts there, but also using his slider very effectively down there as well to get strikeouts. So I'm really encouraged by what I saw here. I really like all the tools in the toolkit. It's worth noting he got through seven innings pitched throwing just 87 pitches. And what's really interesting is if you look, he gets Coors in his next start, right? And normally you'd say, Oof, no, you don't start him in Coors. But as a fastball dependent pitcher, he threw it in the minors almost 60% of the time, if not more, which is very high. I think that Coors isn't going to affect him as much. Yeah, he might lose a little bit of rise on his fastball or whatnot, but I don't think it will affect him nearly as much as, say, a pitcher who's more dependent on his secondaries and his breaking balls as things don't break as heavily in Coors. And also it doesn't hurt that the, the Rockies offense is not very good right now. So I actually probably starting Ryan Nelson in that start if I need to. For for the Cardinals, Jack Flaherty made his second first game back from injury and was great. Went five innings pitched, gave just six hits, one earned run, one walk, and six strikeouts. During that this was his first start back, he pitched really well. Uh, his slider looked great. It garnered seven whiffs on the in the game. His four-seamer is working well, too, stealing strikes. That's kind of really that combo we want to see out of Flaherty. Uh, and he actually gets a really nice start in his next appearance going up against the Pirates. So I definitely say start him there. If nothing else, also really encouraging to see him go 91 pitches here in this game. So those are the pictures that caught my eye. Real quick, before we jump into what I'm excited about today, let's take a quick break here. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at pitcherlist.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with 
with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Fantastic. Welcome back. Real quick, also, let's check in with our good friend Mark Paquette for the weather. Thank you very much. Yesterday was a quiet day for the holiday, uh, not a full slate. Obviously, Tuesdays are always full slates, uh, unless something crazy is going on, and that's not the case today. And looking at the weather, the full slate should continue. I don't see any delays or postponements. We'll keep an eye on things, but it looks like you should be able to play anyone you want. Have a good one. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mark. Now let's jump into what I'm excited about today. So in today's games, we've got some really cool matchups and really important games being played. For the Guardians, for instance, Shane Bieber takes them against the Royals as the Guardians cling to a one-game lead here in the AL Central. We'll have to see how well they do and see if they can continue to retain their lead on the division. For the Marlins, Jesus Lazardo is going up against Philly, who's throwing out Aaron Nola. That should be a fun pitching matchup to watch in general. Another game that has some ramifications, Kyle Bradish is going up against Toronto. He's been absolutely on fire lately. He's been fantastic in his last few starts and the Orioles are in must win mode right now. They're trying to steal that last wild card spot from Toronto and they're about four and a half games back so they really have to come out and play well in this one to even have a shot at that. So the Twins are facing the Yankees. The Twins are a game back of the Guardians as I mentioned in that AL Central race. They've so far this season played pretty poorly against the Yankees and they're going against Garrett Cole so it's going to be a bit of a steep hill to climb here in this one. The Diamondbacks are playing the Padres, and it's, uh, we'll get Merrill Kelly going against Joe Musgrove. That's a fun pitching matchup. And we got a couple of them here. The Braves are facing the Athletics. That's Kyle Wright going against Cole Irving. Those are two, two guys that are having fantastic seasons so far. And the White Sox, who are also, again, chasing the Guardians there in the AL Central and are right on their heels, are going against the Mariners as Johnny Cueto takes on Logan Gilbert. And finally, actually, the Giants are playing the Dodgers. And what we know is I lived in San Francisco for like five years, and what I can tell you is there's always hype for Giants versus Dodgers. Something always happens. They're always wild games. So definitely keep an eye on that one for sure. Now, in terms of any pitchers I'm looking to stream, kind of slim pickings. I know it's Toronto, but I actually wouldn't be opposed to starting Kyle Bradish today. He's had a 2.66 ERA over his last seven games that goes over about 40.2 innings pitched with 38 strikeouts and a 1.13 whip. He's managed to limit his home runs that he's given up. And in fact, actually, if you go back over his last three starts, he has given up zero earned runs in his last two starts and just three earned runs in the start before that. So he's been on quite a roll right now. And if you want to know those two scoreless starts were against Cleveland and Houston. So not exactly facing cupcake matchups there and has just pitched really well. So I don't, I'm not necessarily afraid to throw him out there in Toronto if I need a streamer today. In fact, actually, in one of my leagues, I will be doing just that. I could see also using Rich Hill against the Rays. Hill's a bit up and down. He's either really good or really bad. Uh, but last time he faced Tampa on August 27th, he went seven innings pitched, giving up no earned runs, just three hits and 11 strikeouts. So there may be some potential there if you need a streamer for that game. And finally, the Orioles have been scuffling a little bit offensively lately, and I could see also trying to use Mitch White on the other side of that Toronto game. It's not my favorite start in the world. I don't really like any of these. Probably, weirdly enough, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Bradish, but I could also see Rich Hill being a useful one there as well. 
In terms of hitters to stream, I like any of the Brewers I can get my hands on, going against Chad Cool of the Rockies. Like an Angel McCutcheon. You're looking at uh, Garrett Mitchell. Anyone like that. The Angels. Anyone I can pick up from the Angels against Eduardo Rodriguez of the Tigers. Taking Luis Rangifo. Any of the Cardinals I can get my hands on against Paolo Espino of the Nationals. So going back to Brandon Donovan or Lars Newtbar. And finally, any of the Guardians going up against Chris Bubich. So thinking Stephen Kwan or Oscar Gonzalez. Those might be some guys to see if uh, they might do well there against Bubich. And that's our podcast. That's everything I got today. It's a ton of stuff. I know I apologize. I'm really just trying to get everything out there for you for uh, these last couple weeks and getting you into your playoffs and through your playoffs. So I appreciate you bearing with me and have a great rest of the day. Enjoy your Tuesday baseball and have a great rest of the week. I'll see you tomorrow morning. This has been the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, rate us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at PitcherList, and help support what we do by joining our Discord with PitcherList Plus at PitcherList.com slash plus.